1: Make it plain. Make it M.I.P. With my Matfumo. Mark Thompson. Make it plain. Get woke. God bless you. Good morning. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, M.I.P. is COVID free. Free meaning you don't need a subscription to hear MIP every day now for a limited time. While we endure this pandemic, we want to make it available to everyone. So wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, MIP is COVID free and available to you and everyone without a subscription. Ladies and gentlemen, my very special guest today has a political science degree from Stanford uh, and a master of science and politics and communication from the London School of Economics. In 2018, she was elected to join the inaugural class of Obama Foundation Fellows, and she joined also in 2015 the inaugural class of Technology and Democracy Fellows at the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation at the Harvard Kennedy School. She previously worked on the Voting Rights Project for the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. She was the new Organizing Institute's Election Administration Director from 2012 to 2015. Right now she's leading a team that is doing groundbreaking work to make U.S elections more inclusive and secure, and she's doing that as executive director of the Center for Tech and Civic Life. Tiana Epps Johnson joins us from Chicago. Tiana, how are you?
2: Hi, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I am hanging in there.
1: Yeah, we're uh, glad to hear that. Tiana, I was just talking before we got started about how our loved ones are doing and, and uh, glad that you, yours are doing okay.
2: Yeah, as am I.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Um, so I'm nervous. I think we all are about, we were nervous before COVID, Tiana. Now we've been more nervous. So tell us what um, the Center for Tech and Civic Life is doing uh, right now in general to make elections more inclusive uh, and, and secure. Uh, especially in this current climate?
2: Yeah. Um, so for us, uh, even before the pandemic, our work has been really laser focused on making sure that folks across the country have the information that they need to be able to meaningfully engage in the voting process and civic engagement year round. Um, And also really focus on making sure that election departments the government departments that are on the front lines of making sure um, That our voting experience lives up to what it should um, That those folks have the training and tools that they need to be able to run inclusive professional trustworthy elections Um, Since the pandemic Uh, For us, our work has really had the North Star of making sure that our elections um, this year center both safety uh, of all voters and election workers, but also access. Um, And so that largely has looked like moving into a rapid response mode to be able to prepare a set of trainings and tools for election departments that they're able to both increase the number of voters that they're serving by mail while also making sure to have really safe uh, in-person options for voters um, so that everyone can exercise the right to vote this November.
1: Clearly, the argument has been that there needs to be greater access, and pretty much via mail. People want to push the mail ballot option, obviously, because we don't know whether things are shut down again in November. We know what's already happening in some primary states. Help me, though, uh, um, when we say mail, how do we reconcile uh, snail mail as an option uh, in the context of what you do in terms of high tech? How do those two (laughs) work together, technology and snail mail?
2: Right, so, you know, one of the things that we know is that uh, we don't know exactly what November is going to look like, Uh, but there's the chance that there may be a second wave of the pandemic. Uh, There's a chance that there might be some relaxed stay-at-home orders. Um, Or, you know, there might be just some residual impacts uh, where people are more reluctant to congregate in place. And we can expect that in any of those circumstances, it's going to impact the way that people vote. Um, And so the goal is, how do we reduce the number of people that need to congregate at the same place? How do we reduce crowds? Um, at in-person polling places, and, and, you know, as you mentioned, uh, as I mentioned, the one of the core ways to do that is to increase the number of people who are voting by mail. A pretty analog process, yes, <laughs> um, uh, you know, compared to the ways that we're using tech in other parts of our life, uh, but also a really proven process, a process that is used by already uh, in 2018 a third of voters to get their mail, get their ballot and return it. Um, And a process that really suits us for what's in front of us, right? Uh, A need to reduce the number of people working, uh, actually operating in person. And so the question of how technology intersects here is what are the ways that we can use technology um, to make it easier for people to request getting one of those ballots by mail? Uh, How can we use technology to make it easier for the election workers on the other side of receiving those ballots to process them and count them in a timely way and get results back out to us? Um, And how can we use technology when people are not able to leave their homes and when traditional organizers aren't able to run the same field programs to inform and mobilize voters? How can we use technology to make sure that everyone still has access to information about the process and their options? Um, And how can we use uh, technology to make sure that we are, um making sure that voters are registered and their addresses are up to date because that also is a critical underpinning not only for people to be uh, able to participate in the process but also good addresses are critical to a good mail process
1: yeah yeah so i i presume then that the center is availing itself to jurisdictions i mean we know that when it comes to voting everything is is at best state focused and mm-hmm. it works county focused and localized. So I presume you all are making yourselves available to all jurisdictions for really advice and consultation on how to make make all this work, right?
2: That's right. So one of the challenges with elections in the US um, is that we have a really decentralized system uh, across the 50 states and territories. It, it looks different based on the state laws that you have in a given place. Um, and that also means that across um, our states and territories, voters have different experiences with voting by mail, and election officials have different experiences administering elections by mail. So, we have eight states out west like Colorado and Washington and Oregon who have uh, a long history of voting or serving all of their voters or the majority of their voters by mail. Um, and so, those states also have some proven best practices about what it takes to be able to. Uh, administer an election at scale, uh, primarily by mail but with also in-person options. Uh, And But as we look further out east and in the south, um, really uh, fewer than 10% of voters on average are voting by mail in those states. And so what we're doing at the center, we announced uh, last week that we will be providing a dozen trainings to election departments that will be delivering online, which is a method that we um, have experience with and have proven works to deliver this best practices training. Uh, Lifting up what we know are uh, the proven ways that you can administer an accessible election by mail um, to election officials, uh, training them on those best practices Um, And then in the coming months following these best practices training, also providing direct implementation support for jurisdictions that might need a little bit more tailored uh, support in implementing these practices. Um,
1: Well, and and that's really where the technology comes in. I mean, now people are at home and we're all doing virtual meetings. So that's that's a place where technology is applied, uh, obviously. But also just in terms of Uh, um, getting people uh, uh, or getting jurisdictions well-organized to get those mail-in ballots out, getting the free postage on them, all those types of things. There's a way to make that analog process run more smoothly technologically, isn't it?
2: That's right. Um, There are things like high processing mail sorters and scanners that are the type of technology that really underpin a successful vote by mail process right, right? there's technology that helps with the verification of signatures, which is one of the core ways um, that you're able to uh, make sure that a mail ballot that's returned was submitted by the voter um, that it was sent to in the first place. Um, and so, yes, in the back end of all of these pretty manual paper based processes are technology um, that makes it easier for election officials to handle the volume, but also makes the work itself more accurate. Yeah, and more effective.
1: And you mentioned some of the states that still seem somewhere either behind or, as a matter of fact, resistant to mail ballots. Um, where do you guys come in on that? Do you still do outreach and say, "Hey, you know, why don't y'all think about this? This might work," or just how do you all handle that?
2: Yeah, at the center, we have traditionally stayed away from doing direct advocacy. There's amazing organizations that are doing direct policy advocacy work. There's amazing organizations that are a part of this ecosystem that are doing really important litigation. Um, For us, we are focused on, uh, you know, once you are past the point of passing policy, um, you need to implement the laws on the books in a way that ensure the greatest amount of access for your voters um, and and in a way that is professional and secure. And so that's where we come into the process. Um, When you have uh, a law on the books, how can you uh, make it so best centers the voter and works well for the diversity of folks that you might serve in your community. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to uh, what we're facing though with uh, the pandemic, it's very clear um, that there's a minimum set of rules uh, that election departments should have uh, that are available to all voters and you know one thing is that's clear is that any voter that would like to vote by mail this November should have the opportunity to do that Um, and it's also clear that if a voter uh, because they either have poor or no mail service or if a voter needs language access assistance or if a voter has a disability where uh, it makes the most sense for them to be able to vote independently with the machines that are available at an in-person polling location, that those uh, diversity of options are available so that all voters uh, have the ability to cast a meaningful ballot this fall. Yeah, Uh,
1: we also know too, Tiana, that some of the legislation that has been introduced would provide funds for jurisdictions to make ready for a a mail-in balloting process. So when you were talking about some of the technology that makes mail-in balloting smoother and more successful, I mean, that's where some of that money would go. And and is that very expensive? I mean, when people are talking about doing this, is that one of the challenges for jurisdictions? Does that kind of stuff cost a lot more money?
2: I'm so happy that you brought up the issue of funding because that's one of the most critical pieces here. And it's the thing that needs to be acted upon you know, arguably the most urgently. So experts uh, estimate that nationwide, it's gonna cost between 1.5 and $2 billion um, to be able to successfully meet the needs of voters this fall. Um, That that is what it's going to cost to ramp up vote by mail operations and also to make enough options available for in-person voting while also, you know, doing things like making sure that election workers have personal protective equipment Um, To keep themselves safe um, and cleaning supplies to keep pools clean and sanitized. Currently, uh, Congress has allocated 400 million dollars to states. That's just a fraction of the 1.5 to 2 billion dollars that's going to be needed. And if you're thinking about states that are going to have to move from serving maybe 2% or 3% of voters by mail in every prior election to needing to serve, you know, 50%. Uh, or more voters by mail, that's such a significant increase in the number of people that they're serving by this method. And we've already talked about the ways that there has to be technology so that it's not an individual person stuffing instead of, you know, a few dozen envelopes, literally hand stuffing thousands, if not millions of envelopes. So you have to have those tech that technology and it does cost money. Not only does it cost money, uh, but vendors who produce this technology are seeing demands beyond what they've ever seen before. And so they need lead time um, to be able to start the process of making sure this equipment is available um, and then to actually begin the process that it takes to print these ballots and stuff, these envelopes, and get these request forms out. Um, And so not only is it urgent that more funding is allocated to states um, and that that money not only makes it to states, it makes it to local election officials um, that are at the county and local level. But it's also urgent that that funding is happening right now because election departments need to be able to start working with vendors um, to get this equipment um, and to be making the orders that they will need for supplies uh, for November. Um, And they need time to be able to ramp up their systems. It can't happen overnight. Um, and we're less than 200 days away from the election. So it needs to happen now.
1: Well, and so now that you mentioned that, I mean, what's that timetable like? I mean, if, if if a jurisdiction really wants to do this and do this effectively, what's, what's the drop dead date mm-hmm. to really get that ball rolling? hmm
2: you know, the, the timeline varies, it depends on, you know, the vendor and the quantity, but, um, you know, many vendors are saying that they need this information uh, by, you know, basically early summer at the latest. So mm-hmm. we are really closing in on those timelines. Uh, a working group of government officials um, from the federal, state, and local level uh, came together and and basically record speed came out with a set of FAQs um, and timelines to help guide election officials in ramping up their processes around vote by mail. We're actually partnering with these folks to develop um, and deliver our webinars. And one of the first documents was uh, uh, this timeline that uh, looks at all of the different processes in the lead up to an election. And several of them had dates that were, you know, as early as last week, where you need to get these things started. Um, And so, again, just can't underscore the urgency um, of the need for funding now and for that funding to be getting into the hands of both state and local officials.
1: I know I asked you about states that are resistant, but have you encountered states and jurisdictions on the other end of the spectrum that hit you up? It's like, hey, Mm -hmm. what y'all got? We're trying to get here. Can you help us? Have you seen an uptick? in in that type of communication.
2: We absolutely have seen a huge appetite. Now, you know, one thing I I wanna say is that while there is um, some sort of partisan resistance um, among legislators uh, that we've heard around increasing vote by mail, um, there has not been any partisan divide among the election officials that are actually doing this work. Um, there's been a great amount of unity among election officials in the same way that the American public there's no divide about what uh, folks think needs to be available this fall Um, and so we have we've seen an outpouring of election officials who are really hungry to do this work right um, and who know that they need support to do it effectively so when we uh, announced the opening of our trainings um, we saw in uh, the first week already uh, nearly 250 signups um, to uh, attend these trainings. And so we know that the demand is there, We know, that election officials really want to do right by voters uh, this fall, um, and and that they're united uh, around what it's going to take.
1: And that 250, I assume, was pretty spread out.
2: It was. It was spread out uh, uh, coast to coast uh, and, and places in between. Um, of election officials who really wanna know, again, not only how to ramp up their uh, operations, but also you know one of the core things that we're focused on is how to effectively communicate to the public about what their options are and how to navigate and demystify what's going to be a new voting method for a lot of people um, so that people feel comfortable and confident um, in in the process.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, as you were saying that and thinking about those election officials, They're really kind of frontline workers themselves. Yes. Especially if they live in states that have not made the decision on mail in. That's right. If I'm an election official and I'm, you know, this is the work I have to do. Nobody does this but me, not a legislator, not a governor, not a regular politician. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I know I'm going to have to be bringing people in to vote, possibly handling ballots. That makes me a frontline person mm-hmm. in, a, in a very contagious pandemic, doesn't it? Mm-hmm.
0: And
2: and let me add to that, you are probably, for the first time, having to navigate uh, how to have your operations, mostly in a work-from-home fashion. Uh, I'll, I'll add to that that uh, over 60% of uh, the government officials that fill the role of election officials are, um, within the age range of folks that are a high vulnerable population yeah yeah um and so not only are they making considerations about how to respond to a a massive moment um, in terms of voting but they're realigning how they're doing their own work Um, they're supporting uh, each other uh, and their staff Um, and so yeah, there's just a, a huge number of demands on them. In fact, the first thing that we're kicking off our series with is uh, making sense at the moment is sort of the broad topic, but the first training is actually on how to support election officials, recognizing that these are humans um, that are doing incredible work for our country, uh, incredible public service, um, and are just navigating so much. And I think the last thing I would add on this point is that, you know, we were talking before about some of the resources it's gonna take to be able to effectively administer an election this fall. Um, If you're thinking about the processing side of this, um, so now we have a huge increase in just the amount of paper Mm. uh, that is returned, right? Because now we're on mail ballots. Those then need to be counted and processed, but you also need to take social distancing potentially into account when you're actually doing that processing. So election officials are also going to be needing to look for real estate warehouses that are large enough to have this increased amount of paper. And then the volunteer workers there spread out Uh, to be able to do this safely as well so there's just so many considerations um, that are currently on the table for these officials to make um, and they need support they need funding to do it effectively
1: so tiana are you confident optimistic that this can go the way it ought to go by november what what are your thoughts
2: i am optimistic Election officials, uh, you know, election administration is something that's chronically underfunded. Uh, You know, the right to vote is so important, but it's a field that uh, never really has the resources to do uh, fully uh, the work that voters deserve. Mm -hmm. Um, And election officials already are being tremendously creative and being able to adapt uh, the ways that they're serving voters. Some folks are, you know, using drive up windows that have been like closed off in their offices for years to be able to process ballots or um, partnering with local libraries to be able to convert book drops into drop boxes for ballots, just being really tremendously resourceful. Um, There's only so far creativity can get us. Um, They shouldn't need to be that creative. They need the funding to be able to follow best practice um, when it comes to elections this fall, but I'm confident that if we act quickly and get election officials the resources that they need, that the the will is there, that the know-how is there, um, the the commitment to voters is there, um, and uh, that we can make this happen. Uh, but it's going to take a concerted effort um, of a lot of actors, um, and it's going to take you know the right funding.
1: Tiana, what about security? Mm -hmm. You know, there's also a concern, considering what happened in 2016 and even with some elections after that, um, it's well documented that um, outside forces played a role Mm -hmm. and to some extent continue to do so and want to continue to do so. How does the Center for Tech and Civic Life address that? What advice does it give stakeholders in that?
2: Yeah, so following the 2016 election, when we convened our advisors and when we were out in the field at conferences of election officials, we were you know, gaining, gathering information about what were the most pressing topics for election officials as they debriefed 2016 and were preparing for uh, tackling new election cycles. And the number one question we heard again and again, um, of course, was concerns about cybersecurity and, and needing to build their skills in that area. And so at the center, we partnered with the Center for Democracy and Technology and developed out a three-part cybersecurity best practices training for election departments. Um, and that has continued to be one of our uh, most successful and widespread trainings that we've made available. Uh, election officials, uh, you know, whether they're in a, a big city like here in Chicago or whether they're in a small town. Uh, where there's just two election workers in their office, uh, all need to still have a baseline set of skills to be able to protect our election systems. And so uh, we make sure that election officials know, um, you know, basic personal security habits, that they know the basic terminology around cybersecurity, that folks can make strong passwords and use two-factor authentication. But we also make sure that election officials know um, some of the cybersecurity frameworks so that they're able to uh, get Uh, catalog their systems and have uh, clear plans on how they will respond to or prevent um, any type of incursion. And then we also want to make sure that officials know how to really effectively communicate with the public about all of these things, because um, at the end of the day, voter confidence is what is really the most important. Um, And so uh, it's important that election officials are able to communicate with the public about what they're proactively doing to uh, protect our election systems. Um, and are able to fight through any uh, misinformation that exists um, out in digital platforms. So, yeah, really focused on all of those aspects, so that the officials have what they need to be able to defend against um, any sort of cyber incursions.
1: So, in in an ideal world, do you do you advocate us remaining paper hmm. or electronic? Or is there a combination of of both?
2: Yeah, in an ideal world, um, you know, we think that there needs to be tools that make it easier for people to uh, access the 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 ballot box, but that there needs to be when you actually are casting a ballot, a uh, paper record. That is uh, a record that can be audited and -hmm. confirmed um, that the vote that you cast was counted correctly, Um, and so there are lots of ways that uh, technology can make it easier for people to register, or you know, essentially eliminate the need for registration by things like automatic voter registration that can happen at the DMV. There's ways that you can use uh, technology more effectively, especially right now, in letting people request uh, absentee or mail ballots. There's ways that we can use technology to audit um, the ballots on the back end to validate our results, um, but we are uh, not currently in the business of advocating for actually voting um, using uh, digital tools or technology because we're not there.
1: Just not. But would you would advocate somewhere down the road we ought to get there, right? I mean, shouldn't we be able? I mean, just to make just even use a phone and vote and, and still have a paper record. But just to make it even more accessible, everybody's on their phone. My, um, a, a, a good friend of mine, a late Dick Gregory used to ask this question. Mm-hmm. He said, when we go to the ATM, and some of the people who make the ATM machines, like Debold, make the electronic voting machines. And he would say, Mark, when I put my card in the ATM, it never gives me a million dollars more than I asked for. It's always accurate. Why can't it be that accurate when it comes to voting? <sighs>
2: Um, the there's been you know lots of experiments to date with mobile and, and online voting and unfortunately uh, everyone uh, has shown that we're not at a place where it's secure enough yet. Uh, I, I like the the ATM and the banking analogy because it's something that we are all like very familiar with the the ease and convenience of uh, online uh, banking. But uh, one of the parts that we don't see is that there are, there's a small percentage of sort of fraud on transactions that happen on the back end and there's insurance baked in so that we don't have to deal with those losses and the banks don't really have to deal with those losses. And you can have that little margin of error, right, in something like online banking with insurance, but there can't be a margin of error when it comes to voting. We have to be able to get it 100% right. And so until we're there, uh, it's just not an option that should probably be on the table.
1: Well, hopefully we can get there one day. Folks, techandciviclife.org is the website to go to to uh, uh, find out more Very important work that Tiana E. Johnson and the Center are doing. Uh, thank you, Tiana. I think you're doing the Lord's work, too. I mean, this is important. Uh, and probably more important, you're probably as busy, if not busy, as ever, as you've ever been mm-hmm. in 2020. So uh, keep up with the great work, and we're going to hope for the best, and I'll... Uh, do my best to uh, uh, share your optimism. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for joining us. All right. All right. All right. Have a great all, right. Okay. all right. You too. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been made plain.